Hello and welcome to the Movie Moolah podcast. I'm your host, Ben Yenny, and this is the podcast where we talk about the business uh, of film and television. And we talk about it with serious people talking about the very serious topic of that in an often silly way, because anybody who knows me knows that anytime you're talking to me for an hour, at some point it's going to get silly. Um, with me today is Josh Friedman, who is the author of Getting It Done, a the ultimate production assistant guide, as well as the founder of Crew Me Up. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very excited to be here today. So, yeah, um, you and I met at the Albuquerque Film and Music Experience, AFMX, uh, mm-hmm. like a month or so ago, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, do you go out on the speaking circuit a lot, talking about graduating from being a PA or starting as one? Um, as often as possible, I, I take any speaking opportunity, um, whether it's at festivals, universities, um, different organizations and programs. Um, yes. So my my platform for the last decade has been about training production assistants and supporting education to become assistant directors and uh, production folks. Cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's very vital work. Um... There may kind of be this misconception that you don't actually have to know all that much to be mm-hmm. a PA. Is that is it a misconception or is it accurate? Uh, the, the answer is both. It, the misconception is that it depends on what type of PA you are and at what point in your journey you're at. If it's your first set, obviously we don't expect you to know very much. If it's your second or third, we expect you to know a little but not a lot. If you're a staff PA or someone that's with us Monday through Friday and has responsibilities, then yeah, I, I expect a lot of experience and that's what I look for when I hire. That makes sense. So are you, so you mainly work as an AD these days, mm-hmm. right? Um, does that mean you're directly responsible for hiring the PAs? Um, again, it's a yes and no answer. So as an assistant director, I, I hire my staff. That's five production assistants. Uh, it's our key PA, first team PA, background, paperwork, and walkies. And then from there, they uh, the key PA will hire the additionals that come in as needed. Um, so what I mean by that is if we're shooting on the stage, my staff will do. I don't need any extra hands. But if we're out in Times Square for the day, then I might need 10 additional bodies to help us out. And my key PA would hire those. Okay. How often do you shoot something that you'd actually be out in Times Square for? That sounds really expensive. Uh, expensive? Not 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 as expensive as you would think. Um, permits in New York are um, are well covered, and uh, and it's just about permission at that point. Um, when I started on Law and Order, shooting in Times Square was not easy, but not difficult. Now. Um, very few productions that I work on ever shoot in Times Square. In fact, I think for uh, for Spider Man, they actually built a Times Square set out in Long Island to shoot from. That makes sense. We're gonna pause for a minute because I realize I'm still running off of my uh, Wi-Fi, which is gonna cause problems. But the uh, nope. I don't know why it doesn't default to uh, 
the the wired connection when it's in there. That mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, uh, actually, I have to do these things on my phone um, <laughs> because I've got spectrum on the Upper West Side and my internet constantly cuts out. Fair enough. So, for those, is the PA the still the uh, still the general entry point for union set work? Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. Um, for assistant directors, it's the track. You need 600 days as a production assistant. Um, it's one of many ways to join the Directors Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's important. If you don't know what job you want, being a PA gives you that freedom and opportunity to see and speak to other departments and other crew members to figure out what your joint might be. Okay. So... Once you get on the AD or assistant director track, can you still move over to something like the UPM track, unit production manager track? Yeah, the union? and actually that's the same track. Uh, okay. So the director's guild actually covers uh, assistant directors, production managers, specifically UPMs, uh, location managers, and, uh, and directors. And so the track for most ADs is second, second, second AD, first AD, AUPM, so assistant UPM, and then unit production manager. Okay. Why do they call that a second, second instead of just a third? Because <laughs> we're American. <laughs> okay. That's that's enough yeah. of an answer. Uh, but um... I mean, if, if you're talking about pay, it's it's a difference of two to $300 in the day rate. Um I mean, or that might be actually the weekly rate. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about responsibility or it's the key second is in charge of delegating and managing everything. The second second is their support mm-hmm. and actually runs it for the first AD on set. So somebody plans it, somebody executes it. Okay. Um, is it still possible to join the union, at least in New York, um, if you're just getting out of film school um but it's always possible to join the union um the the question again is which one they all have their different requirements so if if it's iot and you want to be a camera person or you want to be a grip or electric um there's different experiences courses work hours and applications um for the dj specifically which i can speak to the most it's Mm -hmm. literally 600 days as a pa or you can apply to the dj assistant director uh, training program or the dga training program and so with that you uh you basically take an sat assessment course uh then there's a one-on-one interview then a panel interview and they basically take the top 10 percent of the applicants so that's seven to 14 people a year that's not many no but they train you they do courses and they place you on jobs which is one of the hardest things to get that makes sense. I mean, especially when you're starting out, uh, it's such a network-based industry, no matter where you are. Yeah, so I, I can tell you, like, I, I started on Law & Order Criminal Intent mm-hmm. in 2007. Um, I got that job because the producer was married to my guidance counselor in high school. And so when I moved to New York, I called him up. I said, hey, man, I'm here. I'm looking for work. Well, at that point, he said, great, good luck. <laughs> and, uh, and then, oh yeah, oh, it took me a year. So I, I did student films. I answered Craigslist ads. I worked for free. I did music videos. 
And then I called him back after a year and said, hey, this is what I've been doing. I've been looking to break into the union world. Do you have any guidance or anybody you think I should talk to? And that approach led him to introduce me to the second AD on season seven of the show. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you want to be the walkie PA? I said, I don't know what that is, but yeah. And so Monday through Friday, I was staffed on that show. And those additionals that I talked about that would come and help us in Times Square. Well, Law and Order wasn't their only show. So they'd be on Law and Order Monday and Tuesday, and then they'd be on Damages on Wednesday and 30 Rock on Friday and Saturday. And so I would talk to all these folks and say, what are you working on? Who's the key PA? Can I get their number? And I would introduce myself and text them and say, hey, Monday through Friday, I'm on Law and Order. But if you're shooting on Saturday or Sunday, let me know. I'd love to come help. And so I found myself on Pelham on two, three and Hancock and a few other uh, fun features and mm-hmm. television shows over the years. Cool. Um, did you ever meet uh, Vincent D'Onofrio on CI? Yeah. yeah. I spent a season and a half with him. Nice. Is he a nice yeah. guy? Oh, I loved him. I loved him so Wonderful. much. So actually I, uh, when I was just starting out as a PA, I was hired to be an assistant director on a short film called The New Tenants. This was 2008. Uh, Vince's assistant, Erica, was one of the producers. And uh, and so she and the other cast assistant, Keisha, they brought me in. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had been in the business for like six months. I was a glorified first team PA at that point, which means I was taking care of actors and filling out paperwork. Mm-hmm. But they gave me the second AD title. And the new tenants won the Academy Award for Best Short Film the following year. Mm. Right? That's so quite three helpful. years old. And I was an Academy Award winning second AD. That's not so bad. I mean, I can't say that I've ever worked on anything that got nommed. I got close this year, but didn't end up getting it. Um the the film didn't end up getting it for the record yeah. for anyone listening. Um, but, um, the, yeah, happens. I mean, so what made you decide to write the book? So truth is I I never decided to write a book. Um, I was a background PA on law and order, which meant in between shooting the extras, I was sitting and holding, waiting for them to be called. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm blessed with the ability to clearly communicate certain things Mm -hmm. and and so people kept asking me what's a lockup what's a marking rehearsal what's a stand-in and I got really tired of repeating the same basic answers over and over and over again and and so I started writing it down and I was typing this thing up thinking I'll just hand people a pdf and then if you want to dive deeper and go into you know rates and penalties and bumps and adjustments let's do it Mm -hmm. but somebody looked over my shoulder and they go, you got to publish that? I was 22. Um, I said, I don't know any publishers. And so they introduced me to Michael Weesey Productions, who had done Save the Cat and Film Production mm-hmm. Management 101. And uh, and so I sent them an email. I looked through your catalog. You don't have any PA books. Would you be interested? And uh, they said, send us a sample. I sent them two chapters. And within two weeks, I had a book contract. Very nice. Um, yeah, very lucky. Right time, right place, right value. Yeah. Uh, when I published my book on AFM, I mm-hmm. wrote most of it basically because I wanted to. 
Um, and then shortly before Apollo, shortly, like basically when it was done, I decided to reach out to a couple of publishers and I reached out to, I won't say who because they didn't publish it, but they're one of the major um, film industry publishers. And they said, actually, we really like this, but we just signed another book on film markets. Uh -huh. And since we already have this partnership with uh, the American film market, uh, we basically really can't take anything else without their approval. And since I just kind of wrote this without anybody's approval, I said, mm -hmm. okay, I'm self-publishing because if I don't, you'll eat my whole market. And right. I ended up eating theirs on accident. So not entirely on accident, but uh, it worked better <laughs> than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, it's like every independent film. You're not going to help me. I'll do it myself. <laughs> basically it. I mean, that's part of why it's called the gorilla rep. Um, but uh, yeah. So do you, so you, you work on both uh, big union productions and indie productions, correct? Correct. Um, no distinction between union and indie. Um Mm -hmm. fair enough you know yeah and it just means to me no studio fair, fair point yeah i mean most of the productions i represent are at least sag um mm -hmm. often not more than that but uh yeah fair fair disclaimer um the but, yes i absolutely work on indies and uh large big budget features and tv shows do you notice much of a difference in the professionalism uh between the two um yes and again I, I always have two answers for everything um so on the big budget sets the the people that care are fantastic and amazing and the mm -hmm. people that have been doing it for a long time and are there because it's a job just want to follow the rules and go home and they don't care about the project. They don't care about the product. They just came in to set up some dolly track, push a dolly along, and go home. Mm -hmm. uh, so are they professional? Absolutely. Are they a pleasure to work with? Not always. On the indie sets, um, you get similar but different. You get people who are passionate and want to do it, but that excitement pushes them to the point where they're forceful and potentially toxic mm -hmm. or it's an environment like uh, a movie I did about a year and a half, two years ago where everybody is so excited that when a problem arises, they go, do we have a solution? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And mm -hmm. they listen and it actually happens. Like I, I worked on a production where we were supposed to shoot out on an Island and mm -hmm. to get this Island, we were going to be there for five days. It was a, uh, a campsite. Mm -hmm. and we had to take a 30 minute boat ride or uh was it 30 yeah 30 minute boat ride and then 30 minute hike into the site or uh, a 45 minute walk from the parking lot and an hour drive and either way you stretch that we weren't going to make our days if we had mm -hmm. done that so literally the night before i turned to the producers and explained what i just explained here mm -hmm. and that i need a solution if you can find me a different location that's close to either the crew or the hair makeup house then i think we can make this work 
and they went out and that night they literally found a location on the lot next door to our hair and makeup house built the campsite overnight spent the next five days there and it was flawless right? everything worked we didn't lose any of that time and it was because the producers listened that's great um it's wonderful when producers and talent listen it's not a universal thing though um <laughs> I'm not speaking about anybody in particular who I know, but we all have stories um, yes. or have heard stories at least. Um, My job was to offer solutions, not make decisions at that point. That makes sense. Um, it's the situation you just described sounds like it could lead to analysis paralysis. Does that happen on indie or studios? Could, could lead to what? analysis paralysis uh that's my thinking about it so much that nothing gets done yes that um i i don't experience that um i i'm a very action forward mm -hmm. ad producer so identify the problem great now we stop talking about the problem and we talk about the solutions and once we agree on that solution then what are the steps to make that solution reality and that step that step that step so i'm I'm very forward marching especially with a schedule to keep i mean that makes sense it is literally your job um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but the uh although I, I i've had that come up on productions lately um there's a misconception that the ad's job is to keep the production on schedule mm -hmm. and i say it's a misconception because we don't have control over all the things that are happening or the decisions that are being made. I I can create a schedule. I can base that off of conversations and assumptions and facts. You tell me it's going to be five shots as a director. I can time that out and say it's going to take us about an hour and a half to two hours. But if a light goes out, if a storm comes or clouds come out, if the actor's not ready or hair and makeup has an issue or the costume rips. There's things that are completely out of our control. Um, the performance. Let's say we got to do 25 takes and each take is a minute and a half. That's going to eat up all the time that I had scheduled for that scene. And now we're already behind. Nothing I can do as an AD. I can tell you to move on, but if you don't have it, then we don't have a movie. So nobody's done their job. That makes sense. So it's less being a... Being an AD sounds like it's less being a taskmaster and more being an enabler or a problem solver or somewhere between or even both of those things. Definitely a problem solver. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, way, the way I look at ADs is similar to the way that I look at the Crimea app as kind of a central hub. Everybody can come to you and get what they need in order to be able to do their job properly and efficiently. Um, for example, a prop master would come to me and freak out because they don't know what the next episode schedule is and what days they need to be prepping, what props for. And so if they come at me hard, I can react and get upset about it. Or I can think to myself, okay, why are they upset? Oh, they need information. And then I can give them the information that I can give them. <laughs> you can't give them everything all the time. Yeah, I mean... Is it part about a lot of my job as a producer's rep and producer in general is that there's a lot of information that I hold at any one time that's under lock and key and I can't actually talk about to anyone besides maybe three people. 
Um, is mm-hmm. it is that more the case for an AD or is it more just you don't have the information so you can't give them something you don't have? It's a combination. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So more often than not, you're waiting on an answer from someone above you. You probably know with an 80% accuracy what that answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. But if you say it and you're wrong, you're liable. So it's a lot of holding things, um, especially like mm-hmm. when working with actors and managers, they all want to know what the schedule is and send us the documents, et cetera. But I can't actually send anybody a schedule or let them know what's going on until it's been approved by my boss, the producers and the studio. So mm-hmm. if my boss approves it and goes, yeah, this is what we're going to do. I still can't tell the actor until the producer signs off on it and says, yes, this is what we're going to do. That's a lot of approvals. I'm (laughs) kind of amazed that everything flows as well as it seems to. Right. I mean, I, I can tell you instances on network shows where I will get a script on say a Wednesday, uh, break it down Thursday, Friday. Then we've got the weekends, they're scheduling over the weekend, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we have all of our production meetings. So mm-hmm. that's when the ADs sit down with art department, graphics, stunts, special effects, visual effects, hair, makeup, wardrobe, extras, casting, all of those meetings together in three days. Then location scouting into a tech scout on Thursday, production meeting on Friday, shooting the following Monday. That is pretty tight really i mean there's yeah. one there's one movie it's that not a I, regular. that's good that it's not a regular thing um yes. there was one movie that i shot recently that um long story i can't quite tell yet but i will tell as soon as i legally can um uh-huh. is uh we basically ended up starting writing the script 60 days before production and expanding the script and we started casting and we got some names for this thing and some of the names came on after the shoot started um which Mm -hmm. we they were just later in the schedule but this was not a long shoot so it was kind of astonishing Mm -hmm. that we pulled this together as well as we did and there's a whole like again i'm not normally like this internet people listening but i there were reasons that we had to for this shoot and really when it comes down to being a good a a good ad is a good communicator and a good problem Mm -hmm. solver a good producer has to be good at enabling their crew and getting them what they need in order to do their jobs at least from my vantage Mm -hmm. as a producer um that I agree completely. yeah um and that is People just want to be heard and supported and yeah. as a producer as an ad if you give them that mm-hmm. um th- there's an instance i was producing six episodes of a murder mystery tv show um you can actually find it online so it's like an interactive hybrid theater film thing called uh foul play mystery mm-hmm. and uh and so there was an instance where the food for the grip department didn't come at lunch. And so inevitably, I knew it was coming. I was just waiting to see who was going to step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. The uh, the foreman or the person in charge of representing them 
came to me as the producer, heated and angry. Our food's not here. We're still on the clock. Thinking that I was going to give them pushback and mm-hmm. escalate the situation. And I said, well, that's that's a problem. Give me a second. And I, I made a call, found out there was an issue, sent somebody out to make sure that the food was on its way. And I just looked at him. I was like, great. So your food's not here. You're still on the clock. How much is this going to cost me? And they all just looked at me like, what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to fight you. You're, you're still working. We made a deal. You haven't gotten food or a break. So how much is this going to cost me? And they're like, well, it's this much for a penalty. I was like, well, I didn't really budget for that. So will you meet me on this much every 30 minutes for a penalty? Yeah, we'll do that. Great. Mm-hmm. And give me the names of everybody that this applies to. Okay. And then I made sure the lunch came within 30 minutes and I paid them for one penalty and no harm, no foul. And if they're heard and they feel supported, there's no issue. That's. Yeah. It's amazing how hard that is sometimes though. It's. um. Sorry. I just got off on my own little tangent in my brain about how hard that can be sometimes um but really it's just about any level of relationship business or otherwise really just does come down to listening and treating the other person's needs as real because they probably are also they might be hungry and i know i'm an asshole when i'm hungry so uh, that might just be Well, I've learned over the years that on top of dealing with the other people, I have to deal with myself. Um, There's a lot of self-talk that Mm -hmm. goes into my working habits. Mm -hmm. And the biggest things that I'll say to myself is, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm I'm listening. I'm just... Your crazy is not my crazy. That's... I haven't heard it put that way, but that's very true. Um, And there's a line between self-deprecating humor and uh negative self-talk and mm-hmm. it is an extremely difficult line to walk at certain yeah. points and i i believe especially in creative industries it affects us all so that's why i don't mind well i i work with the positive like um, yeah i beat myself up so often nowadays that the your crazy is not my crazy allows me to put that wall up and separate whatever they're throwing at me so i don't react mm-hmm. and then the next thing i say to myself is how can i help and between those two things, I can diffuse most situations almost immediately. That's a good two-step process. Right. Um, yeah, so not exactly related, but um, close. It's always important to assess how much of it is you and how much of it is the other person. And always try to give the benefit of the doubt to both sides yeah. there. Yeah. Um, the rule... I generally use is when dealing with others um, is always assume that they first assume incompetence, meaning, or sorry, first assume an error. Somebody made a mistake. Second, assume incompetence. They're just not very good at their job and more errors will ensue. And third, and only, and only after you have completely exhausted both of those, assume malice and bad faith. Um, At some point you have to get there. But you have to have a couple walls to get there. Otherwise, you're just going to burn bridges all over town. And there are only so many bridges in town. Um, True. 
Yeah. So let's talk about your platform. Yeah. Um, Which one? I meant crew me up. Is there more? Oh, I meant yeah. tech platform, not Understood. speaking platform. Yes. Um, is there more than one? Um, uh, no, not that I know of. I, I would have been impressed. Um, be, but the, uh, so crew me up. Um, how did you decide to start a uh, tech platform as a PA or AD? I needed it. You were? Um, actually, I was producing. Yeah. Um, so I, I needed it. That's that's the truth. I, I was in Corsicana, Texas, uh, shooting a movie called Warning Shot. Uh, we had David Spade, James Earl Jones, Bruce Dern on set, and uh, my gaffer and my DP. They got into an argument. One started cussing at the other. And I've got a zero tolerance policy. So when the gaffer starts cussing, I gave him a plane ticket and sent him back to New York. And so now I'm again in Corsicana, Texas, six hours from the nearest slider, let alone a qualified gaffer. And I checked my Craigslist. I checked staff me up. I checked Mandy. They they didn't have anybody local in the area. We ended up flying someone in from uh, from New York who could replace that person. And uh, and so I turned my producing partners and I said, we got to solve this. Um, problem number one, I'm in a location where I don't know what resources are available, whether that's people, services, or rentals. And then problem number two is when I got back to New York and I've got 600 PAs in my phone. It took 60 phone calls to find six that were available and I needed to hire. So that was initially why I built Crew Me Up and how the technology kind of started around 2016, 2016. Okay. Um, well, how is this different than Mandy or any of the, or Production Hub or any of those other hiring sites? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the difference is those are gig posting systems like Monster, like Indeed. Crew Me Up is actually a labor management platform and it's also a community. So you can come to us and you can reach out and we will answer any questions, mentor, support education. Um, if you need crew, we'll white glove it for you. You can literally reach out to us and so my co-founder and I will help you find people or you can use the app. And it's about knowing who's available and hiring them directly. But there's also a labor management system inside of our product that allows you to hire those staff members Monday through Friday and manage all the additional labor that we talked about. So you know, Monday and Tuesday when I'm on the stage, it's just my staff. Wednesday when I'm in Times Square, here's 10 additional names. Mm -hmm. That's nice. I mean, do you do any of the payroll on that or do you just... No, that. yeah, that's that that that's the right answer, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if if we decided to be the payroll company, because it has come up over the years, mm -hmm. um, it would limit what we can do socially and for the actual community. Mm -hmm. So because we're a third party app, we can report, we can do labor reports, we can issue anonymous diversity reports. If we became the payroll company, we'd be subject to privacy laws that wouldn't allow us to be able to share that information with productions and hold them accountable. I hadn't thought about that element of it. I thought it was just a complexity element. Oh, no. The payroll is easy. It's just money and systems. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And that makes, do you generate reports that you can then share with a payroll company to help limit time or anything like that? We could. Absolutely. Okay. It's one of the features that we'll be building out in the next six months. 
Um, so that report, that labor report that we're talking about could be used for payroll um, or there's integration opportunities. So let's say a department head hires a crew member. Mm-hmm. We can take their profile information, send that plus the hiring information that was given to the app, like their start date and their title and their rate. We can send all that to the payroll company and they can automatically start the onboarding process. That. Yeah, that sounds like it would be an immensely valuable tool for especially especially for shooting outside of your home area. Um, Save all that time and make it seamless. Yeah. Um, How are you attracting new users? Uh, A lot of social, a lot of events, and honestly, things like this, speaking on podcasts or at AFMX. Mm -hmm. um, The the more we go out and talk to the community, the uh, the bigger the product goes. We... uh, we're very lean, so we don't spend actual money on marketing. We do it all ourselves. Yeah, I, I understand. It's it's the hardest part of this is hitting critical mass. Um, and I speak on this from experience. I was the chief marketing officer for a product called Production Next, which was a suite of project management tools um, that had started to dip its toes into more of where you guys are, but we just didn't have enough users to make it make sense at the time um but the there's this thing that we keep hearing which is people will see the demo they'll see the product and they'll go i need this i want this i love this where have you been why haven't i heard of you um so that that's that's been our struggle we uh we have to escape that marketing bubble it's not an easy thing to escape um Unfortunately, for those of you listening, Production Next is no longer on the market. Um, it's I left that to start Mutiny, and I think that was the right call at the time, mm-hmm. um, for me at least. But um, I do think that there is a need for a product like this on the market, yeah. and it looks yeah. like you are starting to address it. Yet, but it's free. What? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't charge the filmmakers. Like they're, uh, We've talked about this. I'm a working AD. Mm-hmm. So I use the product. Why would I charge myself? And mm-hmm. the the mentality that we took in making this decision was your job is to make the movie or the TV show. It's to be a gaffer, run the camera, create a schedule. It's not to hire your crew. It's not to look for work. And so we can't charge our users. No subscriptions, no transaction fees. We're not headhunters. Um, it's another way that we differentiate from Staff Me Up and Mandy. And mm-hmm. we make our money through relationships with vendors and they pay us advertising dollars, which is cheaper than Facebook for them. And so that's that's how we're able to sustain besides the money that we've raised creating this business. Yeah, that's, I mean, I was going to get to the price question, just for the record. I was holding it for a minute, but um, no, it's, it's, that's a really impressive model. If you can pull it off, it's just the, uh, are there privacy concerns if it's an ad based model? Um, We're not sharing information with, uh, with companies. Yeah. So it's, it's literally, they get a homepage, they get access and we'll give them analytics, but we're not giving them user information. Okay. That's good. I mean, like, that's one thing that continually comes up with, certain social media platforms that I may or may yep. not be posting this on. Um, but the uh, it's a it's good to hear that 
you are keeping privacy in mind on that and mm -hmm. that's very important is, there's a reason we work behind the camera not in front of it that, that's a very good way of putting that he said on <laughs> camera um but the uh i need to get a new chair um the so what are some of the most interesting stories you've seen as a pa just have you uh, seen somebody f things up royally oh there, there's so many things that have happened over the years um <laughs> yeah where to start um what, what kind of story are you interested in um something that ideally that is either so gargantuanly dumb that it's humorous or that is just i would never have even expected that could happen in that All right. so my Sorry. my last day of season seven of law and order criminal intent um i was putting away the walkies and it was myself two assistant directors the production staff and the camera truck driver cowboy um the second ad comes over to me and goes Sorry, did you say cowboy yes his name was cowboy okay <laughs> uh he wore the hat he slept in the truck most days um, he was the first one there, the last one to leave. Fantastic guy. Um, so he's not that famous New York cowboy, is he? Not, not the naked cowboy. Not the naked cowboy. Okay. <laughs> who, who I saw last week. Like I, I've been watching that guy since I was a teenager, watching Total Request Live, mm -hmm. and he's still out there in the winter doing that thing. Good for him. Right. Sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt your story, but uh, uh, uh so Law and Order. We're, uh, we're at Chelsea Piers. It's the last day of season seven. Uh, the second AD, as I'm putting away the last case of walkies, goes, don't put that away. We're going to play hide and seek. Like, what? So we're going to play walkie-talkie hide and seek. So everybody gets a walkie-talkie. They have to turn it on on the same channel. One person's designated as it. And now we've got two stages. So if you've watched Law & Order, we've got the squad room, we've got the jail cell, and then next door we've got a swing set. So for that episode, I think it was a combination of an interrogation room and a like main room of a mansion. And, uh, and so that was our playground. And we got 30 seconds to run and scramble and hide. And then the person that's it would call out on the walkie-talkie and wherever they heard a sound, they would go and try to tag the person and then put them in jail. So I I thought I was smart. I hid in the jail cell under the jail bed. <laughs> so they never thought to check. Like, obviously, everybody that's in there has been tagged. Um, and then the other thing that was happening is at one point, Cowboy's it. And unbeknownst to us, he brings out a bullhorn, like a big old megaphone. And so he's got the walkie-talkie <laughs> in one hand. He's got the megaphone in the other. And he's walking around going... but it was the best way to end the season just all of us playing a game with walkie talkies and you would never think that that's what happens on the movie well i mean unless you're in the industry in which case you, you expect shenanigans like i that's once i once chased a uh breakfast burrito all over spokane because i really wanted the oh, wow. breakfast burrito it was man the crafty for north by northwest is superb so uh <laughs> 
Big ups. Love that. Good shout out. Yes. Um, the uh, go ahead. My first day on uh, on that show, I was doing a fire watch. Um, for those that don't know, it means that while the crew steps away, somebody watches the gear um, just in case anything catches fire or walks away. Mm-hmm. And so it was an episode of Law and Order about a, uh, a pirate treasure that was discovered. And there were buckets of gold coins that the prop department had. Now, for those uninitiated, it's a layer of foam with a top layer of some plastic coins. Mm-hmm. And for those that were at the beach thinking that they were real coins, while I'm on Firewatch, this guy grabs the bucket, starts running down the beach. And so me being the first day green PA, run down the beach after him, full on football tackle, tumble around the sand, get the bucket back, call the uh, security guys. And then I find out that they're plastic coins and I didn't save anything. And that production would rather me be a safe human than lose some plastic. Fair enough. I mean, that is an important thing to keep in mind here is that we're not playing with real toys most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's um I just and... worked on a medical show. The bodies were fake. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I just worked on a medical show. The bodies were fake. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's a um the I thought that they actually cast people for bodies sometimes. Or is that just not universal? Uh, more often than not you don't need to. It's it's a waste of an actor to have them lie on a table in death makeup when mm-hmm. you've got a prosthetic body standing by. Uh, in this particular show, we had the body standing by. Okay. Um, I forgot where I was going with that because I've just... Like, there's that trope from if you watch television that there's always like, oh, I was cast as a body on CSI or whatever that is mm-hmm. meant to be like the lowest level acting gig you can get when in well, reality it's the we did those autopsy photos yeah, yeah. Um, a- absolutely when we did that that was like background actors that was a whole separate unit mm-hmm. so while the main unit was shooting other scenes and the scene that the photo would be used for was scheduled for two days from now mm-hmm. we'd go off the background actor dress them up in scars and bruises and blood and just take crime scene photos that sounds kind of fun <laughs> it was. <laughs> and and it's, it's one of those cool things. Like, nobody talks about this kind of stuff as a PA. You mm-hmm. you hear it from directors. You hear it from producers. You might hear it from assistant directors. Mm-hmm. But you're there, and you're in it, and you're behind the scenes, and you're a production assistant. My job was to bring the background actor. And then somebody needed something. So they asked me a question. I asked somebody else a question. I made a suggestion. They took that suggestion. Like, my... My creativity, my thoughts, my energy went into this, and it was on the show. So that's something my parents can see. I I, I understand. And on that note, do your parents have any idea what you do? They do now. They do now. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that once I wrote the book, I think mm-hmm. they uh, they read it and they understood a lot of what I had gone through. And the more that we talk, I, I honestly I talk to my father every day. Um, I probably talk to my mother once a week or anytime they're together, which is often. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I tell them about what happened on set and the things that I'm dealing with. Sometimes I problem solve with them. It's like, how do I deal with this situation? Because um, I, I know how to do my job, like the step-by-step very well. 
but dealing with personalities and people's reactions i'm human just like the rest of us and so sometimes i need advice that makes sense i mean it's i'm i have a very similar relationship with my parents um except they're never together because you know they're divorced but the um so love Bo. just gotta say that yes they're great um both of my parents i don't know your parents um but the uh that got weird okay um but the as a producer's rep or Uh um producer it's very difficult to succinctly describe what it is you actually do um because it's really just a lot of problem solving enabling and finding resources for the crew and then well I was yeah. actually, I was able to figure this out and it actually came when I started the tech company and mm-hmm. I had to describe to people like, what do you do in the film industry? Cause I don't understand. And I had to equate it to something that they did understand, mm-hmm. which is we are just high level project managers. Yeah. Like that's, that's the easiest way to describe it. We manage multiple departments. We help with logistics and communication mm-hmm. and we make sure that the whole thing comes together. It's middle management in real time at the top of its game. Yeah, that's that is a good way to put it. The way I've put it in the past is just we're if the executive producers are on the board, the lead producers, the CEO, um, the producers below them, a varying title, like mm-hmm. the full producers are other C level um co producers are functionally VPs or EVPs and then project managers on down from AP to that. Um and it's just the best way I've been able to equate it to people. But even that gets murky and weird a lot of times. So high-level project managers is probably about right. Maybe add some sales and marketing <laughs> to my division. But yeah, yeah. that's like... Unless that makes you chairman of the board. I mean, probably. It is... Um, <laughs> I don't like taking that role because that means that well, I have or... to make people listen to me. An AD could be a COO or a chief of staff is another. Yeah. I'd buy that. Um, I I think while film school can be really good at teaching production itself, Mm -hmm. I do think the actual realities of a large set and the responsibilities for people like the assistant director are not something that are as well taught as we would like. Um, I agree completely. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I I think film school is for the people that want to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great for directors. It's great for writers. It's great for cinematographers that have anything that's subjective and stylistic that they need to learn, study, or expand on. Mm-hmm. For something that's technical, I don't necessarily think that the schooling is valuable past the initial learning phase mm-hmm. once you understand what a c-stand is if you haven't opened one up and tightened a knuckle you don't know it true i am uh yeah it's there are certain things that you really need to learn um by actually getting your hands dirty and really yeah. i think an apprenticeship model works a lot better for those sorts of okay. things. Which sounds so there's, there's actually a program that we're working on, um, the Workforce Development Program in mm-hmm. upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And it's five days in class. So in one day we go over the people, 
departments, what they do, what they're responsible for. Then we go over the process. So things like lockups, walkie uh, communication, block light rehearse shoot. Then we go over the paperwork, how to read call sheets, schedules, production reports, and then we prep. And so we take all of that work and we put it into a short script. So this is essentially a three-week program that we're building. Week one was that in-class portion. Week mm -hmm. two, we take that time and we actually prep a short film. And week three, we shoot it. So it's everything that we're talking about with learning, experiencing. And then that's our section of the program. The program itself is another nine weeks. And mm -hmm. they take those nine weeks to talk to individual department heads and actually go over what they just did with physical experience under the belt. That's, yeah, that sounds like a pretty decent workforce development program. I mean, I think the... It's an experiential model. Yeah. I still think the hardest part about any of this in this industry is really teaching more of the uh, hardcore business of it, the finance, distribution, marketing, and all of that. And even though I work in that oh, side the, of the, the industry... business is so different. <laughs> So it's so different and it's unlike anything else I've worked in. And even though I work in it, when people like when my parents ask what I do or what they should tell people that I do, their friends, I say, honestly, I'm still not even sure what I do. So I can't really give you that answer yet. It's um, I know mostly what I do. It's a joke, but it's just it's very difficult to describe succinctly. And it really is kind of. Well, there's so many things because I'm I'm this thing to this person at this time and in a split second I have to be something else entirely and you have to there's some of element of performance to it as well um the because mm -hmm. you selling and sales in general is at least a bit performative every single yeah. um but yeah That's so it. getting the film made um it's the very first thing, especially for new filmmakers that I find, is that they're they're trying to pitch people on the actors and the potential, and we're going to go to these festivals. And the truth of the matter is, the only thing that you need to get people to care about at that stage in the game is your story. Mm -hmm. If I care about your story, and I think it needs to be told, and I want to be a part of it, I'm going to support you any way I can. If I don't believe in it, good. Yeah, if you don't believe in it, um, it's not going to happen. I don't happen. care. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I agree. It's a little bit different from um, talking to specifically an executive producer or sales agent. Mm -hmm. We want to hear your genre. And right. we want to hear that you have some idea of who is going to eventually watch it. And mm -hmm. we want to hear that your story isn't completely out there, but also not overdone and there's a what's your market who's your audience is this exactly. realistic yeah and we don't want to hear like every time somebody says oh i want to shoot this for 50 million i'm already like we're, we're out it's <laughs> it's not happening it's yeah. like um you have to be keep your expectations grounded to some mm -hmm. level um so Going back a moment just to the weirdness of the industry and how you kind of have to be different things at different times. Yeah. Did you know that the dude, like Lebowski, uh, from The Big Lebowski, is based uh -huh. on a real person? I did not. 
he is. Um, he he was financed uh, Blood Simple, and he was okay. the producer's rep for the Coen Brothers, and uh-huh. that's how they ended up wanting to make this movie on him because it, it's a pretty accurate depiction of him. If I'm honest, I've met him a few times. The first time I met him, I was still wet behind the ears, barely out of film uh-huh. school. And uh, I was booking him for a uh, film financing seminar. And if you've ever talked, if you, just, just put in your head talking to the dude about high level film finance when you're barely out of film school. And that is a surreal experience that um, you would. That I'm very glad my life is included, but, um, so, but what was that like? Like it was weird. Did he um, have a white? He did. I mean, it was on the phone, so probably. But in my head, he did. Um, <laughs> but like the cadence that uh, Jeff Bridges got for this guy, yeah. and you can Google this. His name's Jeff Dowd. This is not unknown information. Um, but it was like spot on. Like it's such a weird thing and i've never worked with him directly besides that but we've crossed paths a few times because there are really only so many people known as a producer's rep it's a pretty small pool and he's pretty much the progenitor of the term so it's a it's a long roundabout way of saying that honestly we in this industry kind of get paid in stories as much as we get paid in money, at least until you hit a certain point. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, let's see. I I got my puppy on a job called Love Life for HBO. This is actually right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there was a day where we were doing a company move across town during lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody that doesn't understand what that means, in New York City, it is a logistical nightmare. There's always traffic. Something always happens. Either the trailer doesn't land, the food doesn't get there. Like there, there's always something. And so I had Anna Kendrick, and I had to get her across town. And I, I promised her, this will happen. You're going to be on set. I'm going to send the trailer when you leave set. We're going to send you directly to your trailer. I'm going to pick up your food personally. It's all going to work out and time out so that when you land, it'll be there waiting for you, ready to go. Ah, she she knows the game. She's been doing this long enough. Mm-hmm. She goes, I, I believe you, but only if I get to take the puppy with me in the van. <laughs> so that, that was the negotiation. She took the puppy. I went to the next set, got her lunch, got her set up. It all worked out. And that's what we had to do. That makes sense. Does your puppy know that they got to hang out with Anna Kendrick for a while? Because I'm a little jealous of your puppy. No, not at all. I mean, he he then hung out with Grace Gummer and Mandy Moore. And, and he's got a life. <laughs> that's that's quite a life. Yeah. Um, all right. On that note, um, I think we're going to move to the same three questions I ask all my guests to close out it's been tons of fun though and you're always welcome back um thank you anytime just let me know the uh so the first question um what are your top three favorite movies of all time as it stands right this second now they can change in 10 minutes they can change in 30 seconds but what are Mm -hmm. you vibing on now 
what are my top three movies right now? Um, there's always, always my top comedy, which is not a top comedy at all. Uh, Hudson Hawk. Okay. Right? I've uh, heard of it, but Willis, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Danny Aiello, Andy McDowell. Um, he He's a cat burglar, and they time the robberies out to songs. Um, so it's like Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis robbing an auction house, singing Swinging on a Star. Um, thoroughly enjoyable, but don't know if it still holds up. Uh, so that's one, two, I just saw Five Nights at Freddy's. That was highly enjoyable. Okay. I'm hearing mixed uh, reviews on that one. I, I, I was surprised. I thought it was going to be like a gore fest or something similar to, uh, to like the Wally movie that Nick Cage did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually, it was highly enjoyable. Okay. Uh, three... See, I, I struggle with these because I, I like making them. I really don't care about watching them as much. Uh, movie that I really enjoy. While you think about that, I understand where you're coming from. It's uh, it's hard for me to watch new movies a lot because I have to watch so many movies for work that mm-hmm. it's hard for me to watch anything good afterwards because it's just so much of my attention of that part of my brain is used up in the day yeah. after I've reviewed my cue. Um, well, I, can tell you, I can tell you what my, my go-to movie is if I just need to mindlessly drone. Um, and this is since college. Uh, the one with Jet Li, Jason Statham, Delroy Lindo. <laughs> That's a great movie. It was ba- yeah. it was multiverse before we knew about multiverses. Yeah. It's a good exactly. movie. Yeah, good choice. Multiverse plus Highlander? Come on. Yeah. How could you go wrong? Um, the, I mean, again, not, not swearing by quality, just fun there, but (laughs) I completely agree. Always have a soft spot for that era of action movies. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my, I grew up in that era and that was me going to the movies to watch True Lies, which again, doesn't hold up, (laughs) but is also very enjoyable. It it holds up better than a lot of stuff from that period though. Um, I mean, and that probably has more to do with Cameron than anything else. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where I learned what a Harrier jet was. And I decided uh-huh. I wanted one when I was a kid. And yeah. still haven't gotten Just, there. But it's 10 million Pepsi points or something like that? Something like that. Um, didn't somebody actually get that? And then they said, yeah. I, I don't think they got it. it. I think okay. they tried. Like They accomplished it. They tried to get it. Mm-hmm. And then Pepsi was like, oh, no, it was just a joke. And then there was a whole lawsuit. Like, there, there's a documentary about it. I, I thought that that was the case. Okay, that's, I need to go rewatch that doc. Um, anyway, second question. Uh, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, it doesn't necessarily need to change anything, just one piece of advice mm-hmm. for your younger self. What would that advice be? And when would you give it to yourself? Be better. Like there, there are so many situations where I had a choice and that choice was either do something that was going to outright support somebody and take away an obstacle or the choice was to do my job, know that I did my job and not tell the person because it was annoying me that they were micromanaging. And does that make sense? Yeah, so be a better not 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 be better just in general, be a better person, be a kinder human being is what I'm 
hearing. I want, I would, yes, but I want to be careful because I wasn't mean. So sure. I, I would do things that were unintentionally spiteful or mm -hmm. stupidly small when I was younger and starting out. And I really wish that I just bit the bullet and communicated and changed my perspective to see theirs and just said, oh, you're checking on this to make sure that it happens, not because you think that I'm any less. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's. And I would have told myself that early days as a PA, like six months into this business. Makes sense. That's 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 a good one. That is at least in my top 10, 15% of the ones I've recorded. My personal favorite. Um, cheers. Cheers. Um, and keep in mind, I've only recorded like 25 at this point. So 10, 15 is up there. Um, but the uh, final question, hardest question, um, where can people find you? What are you looking for from anybody who might be listening? Yeah. Um, so if you want to connect and find me, my email is josh at crewmeup.com. That's the easiest way to reach out. Mm -hmm. Find the app at www.crewmeup.com. That's on the App Store and uh, Google Play. The book uh, can be found on Amazon, Getting It Done, The Ultimate Production Assistant Guide. And if you reach out, I'll respond. I'm, I'm always happy to help. Um, what we need are the filmmakers. We need crew members on the app. Our goal is to get this to 10,000 users in the next three months. And then when the work comes back in January, start hiring your staff to crew me up. Sounds great. Um, I will, uh, I'll drop the link to the book in the description. Um, I won't drop your email just because Google doesn't like that. Um, the, <laughs> but um yeah, and other than that, thanks again. I'd love to have you back. It was a fun conversation. Um, and thank you. Jeffrey. Of course, it's my pleasure. Oh, sorry. Try that no again. Worries. No worries. <laughs> um, going again. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Um, if you like this, please like, comment, subscribe. If you're listening to this on YouTube, hit that notification bell. If you're listening to it anywhere else, uh, hit auto download because then uh, it's listed as listened to and uh, helps us find new audience and you can listen to it whatever you want them. So, um, and if you like that, if you like this business content, check out my free independent film business resources guide at uh, thegorillarep.com slash resources. It's got a lot of goodies like an investment deck template, two free eBooks, uh, festival brochure, contact tracking templates, and a lot more. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>